Hey, everybody. Welcome to our Midtown Midweek podcast, where we further the conversation from Sunday. Last Sunday, we heard from Michael Bailey. And one thing we mentioned here when we do this podcast is what y'all typically don't see is generally the weeks, sometimes months of preparation and study and prayer that our pastors go through to deliver the sermon on Sunday. So like I mentioned this week, we're welcomed by Bailey. What's up, Bailey? Yo, what up, everybody? For those of you that don't know, Michael Bailey is one of the pastors at our Lexington Church, and we're so glad to have him on here. And Bailey, why don't we just go ahead and start, recap us as to what we talked about on Sunday? Yeah, so the main thrust of the sermon was, you know, that God is calling his people to be a praying people. And this is really the first instruction that Paul gives us out of his uh, his words to stand for the truth, defend the truth, and build your lives around uh, the truth of the gospel, namely that Jesus has come into the world to save sinners like you and me. His very first instruction is, okay, now I want you to pray and pray for everybody. And that's sort of right out the gate. And so the big appeal was like, all right, so if this is the first thing, let's do that. Let's be about that. And let's talk a little bit about why Paul says the things that he says. But yeah, primarily, let's be a people of prayer. Let's get after it. Paul has such a high vision, uh, a high bar of prayer that we're to be a praying people. Yeah. Even thinking in First Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. Oh, so yeah. There's no limit for who you should pray for or how long you should be praying. Like prayer, prayer should just be the embodiment of who you are. That's right. Yeah. No, it's right at the heart of who we are and what we do as people who are trying to be disciples of, of Jesus. Like, and that really, that was the unique challenge. I think even too of the sermon was just that the scriptures say so much about prayer. It's all over the place. And Christians have said so much about prayer. It's all over the place throughout church history. And it's just like, man, there are so many things that we could say in many directions that we could take this sermon. How do we actually zero in on what we need to say and what's going to be most beneficial for our people? That was that was a unique challenge I had. Even like the week leading up to this, uh, preaching the sermon, I was just like, man, I got all this stuff that I want to say. How do I make it all fit? You know, So I had to really pray through like, all right, what needs to be said as a opposed to, you know, what, what, uh, what do I want to say? Seeing your previous drafts of this sermon, I just copied all of those good quotes that didn't make the cut and just put it in my own folder. For there were so cut. many. Uh-huh. It's like, Ooh, I'm taking that and I'm just going to hold on to that. What were some things that didn't make the cut? Yeah, it's a really good question. So a lot of quotes, because genuinely there are a lot of people uh, a lot of believers far smarter than I am who have said some really, really good things on prayer. And it was really difficult for me to find, all right, what are the ones that need to actually be said? And I probably won't like, wait, well, this is the midweek podcast. I can waste everybody some if I want to, yeah. right? Uh, but to highlight a couple of them, let's see if I can find them. So they're, Oh goodness. I have them all here. So there's a one American theologian who said this about like intercessory prayer specifically. And I just thought this was, I mean, attack hell with a half full water pistol type, you know, quote, he said, uh, intercession is spiritual defiance of what is in the name of what God has promised. Intercessors visualize an alternative future to the one apparently faded by the momentum of current forces. 
prayer infuses the air of a time yet to be into the suffocating atmosphere of the present. History belongs to the intercessors. I mean, just come on, right? Like that, that quote right there just gets the hair on the back of my neck standing up. But he says, history belongs to the intercessors who believe the future into being. Even a small number of people firmly committed to the new inevitability on which they have fixed their imaginations can decisively affect the shape of the the shape the future takes these shapers of the future are the intercessors i just loved it that's good i just loved it i loved it i I just i had so many other quotes that was trying to get into the sermon that that one had had to get cut but like i just i I find that there's like really powerful that's a really powerful image and i mean that is what the scriptures say happens when we pray that our prayers affect things. That was a huge part of the sermon of just like prayer is not just this devotional activity that we do that shapes us. It does shape us. Don't, don't mishear me, but there is an aspect of prayer that affects things that God responds to our prayers in ways that shape the world. And for me, a lot of that was revelatory because it's like, often I don't think that way when I pray. Often when I pray, I think about me and what I have going on and just what, how do I need to be changed or what do I need in my own, you know, little world to, to happen. But I mean, the, the vision that Christians throughout centuries have kind of put out there is just, and the scriptures put out there is just no prayer is much bigger and it shapes everything. And we do well as God's people to pray. Tell me if you think this is helpful. The way I think about having a cumulative picture of prayer is that it is upward inward and outward. Absolutely. And it all works together. So uh, praying upward, I am praising God for who he is. When I sing worship songs out loud, those are worshipful prayers towards God that I want these things to be true of my heart. Uh, Inward, contemplative prayer, examining my heart during my time with Jesus. And then outward prayer out of the overflow of those things happening that then moves me to pray on behalf of people and the world. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. hundred percent. I think that's incredibly helpful. It, uh, it, prayer is a multidimensional, I mean, you call it a tool that God has given his people for the shaping of our souls and the shaping of the world at large, which is a, a really incredible thing, you know? And honestly, I know I'm rambling a little bit, but for me, that is also <clears throat> just such a cool picture. I mean, that goes back to Genesis, you know, when God creates man and woman. What does he do? He creates them and gives them dominion. He created them to rule. He, he created them to be co-partners with him in mm-hmm. creation, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so like prayer, just being a call back to that of like prayer is actually one of the ways that we step into our God given role as human beings to help shape the earth and cultivate it, uh, along with him. Really cool. Yeah. What else didn't make the cut? Oh, good question. Let's see. Uh, so this, this is real nerdy. This is so nerdy. And I apologize for this. It absolutely did not fit in the sermon. It was just something that I read and was like, that's neat. Uh-huh. So it's this theory or this idea of quantum entanglement. Have you ever heard of it? I saw the email. Okay. So, so you, yeah, yeah you this, saw the article this where this, this came from. Yeah, with, oh, with yeah. All of us. yeah. Oh, yeah. So for those of you who are unfamiliar, quantum entanglement is this theory in theoretical physics, or actually it's it's this thing that's been studied in theoretical physics, uh, where particles that are separated by physical distance can still affect one another. So two particles that seem to not be connected are actually connected. And what you do to one can affect the other. So the example that uh, I heard used was imagine that you have a bunch of dominoes. Like say you set 10 dominoes up in a row. Uh, When you knock the first one over, what do you anticipate to happen? 
Not a rhetorical question. Oh, this is to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, knock one down, the other's fine. Yeah, that's exactly uh-huh. right. You expect, you knock the first one down, it hits the second one all the way to the 10th one. Uh, the theory of quantum entanglement is that you could actually remove the middle eight dominoes, still hit the first, and the 10th one would fall down. Like that's how this whole thing works. And it's been studied and observed. Einstein even called it something like a spooky action at a distance or something like that. Like it's absolutely crazy. Uh, and I just thought that was really neat because, well, I'm, I'm not saying that that's what prayer is. Prayer is not quantum entanglement. Uh, what is cool though is that Actually, in our observable universe, we we see things like what the Bible describes, how prayer works actually at play. That This idea that some things that are physically, seem to be physically not connected and are separated by distances, uh, what you do to one can affect something far away. And that's, I mean, that's what the Bible says prayer is. It's like we're not directly connected to some of the things that we are praying for, but we're praying for it and God does something and moves. You know, I just, I thought that was cool. Yeah. Obviously it doesn't fit in the sermon anywhere, but it was just like that, the the geeky side of me is in love with this right now. (laughs) This is amazing. (laughs) That's great. Other stuff that didn't make the cut. You want to talk about any of those? You know, I mean, lots of scriptures that uh, I could have used to reinforce a lot of the things that we are saying. So, you know, like First John five fourteen uh, through fifteen, where John writes, and and this is the confidence that we have toward Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us, and if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we will have the request that we ask of Him. Like, I mean, that's just huge. So, I mean, more, just more support that you know when we're talking about prayer in this way, this is not something we're making up. This is not just wishful thinking and uh, that. Oh, I hope prayer works this way. No, the scriptures actually affirm prayer works this way. Like prayer does these things. Uh, other things that I've been thinking about too with it of just like, you know, the question that we posed at the beginning of the sermon was, you know, what what do you do when it feels like there's nothing you can do? You know, and that kind of being some of our framework for how we think through prayer. Uh, you know, part of me wanted to even go to when Jesus talks about being uh, connected to the vine. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, it's like, it's not just that there are some select scenarios where, oh, we can't actually do anything and we need God to step in. It's actually our, the entirety of our lives. Like we are completely dependent upon God. And that's why we need to pray without ceasing. That's why prayer needs to be so integral uh, and integrated into our daily life and our moment by moment life is because literally we can't do anything without God. We need him for all things. We need to stay connected to the vine as much as possible. So just more reinforcement on, Hey, pray. Next question for you. How did studying this passage shape your devotional life? Yeah, that's a really good question. So another one of the quotes that I came across was from one of my favorite uh, Christian thinkers, uh, a guy who's been really influential in my understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and what following Jesus, especially in the 21st century, looks like. is a guy by the name of Dallas Willard. We quote him a lot. He's absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic. If anybody's listening, hasn't read any of his stuff, go read him. Be blessed, genuinely. Yeah. Uh, but <clears throat> one of the things that uh, I read that he said um, in prep for this was he said, don't seek to develop a prayer life but seek a praying life. A prayer life is a segmented time for prayer. You'll end up feeling guilty that you don't spend more time in prayer. Eventually, you'll probably feel defeated and give up. A praying life is a life that is saturated with prayerfulness. You seek to do all that you do with the Lord. For me, I think that was one of the big things that kind of coming out of this has shaped me uh, in terms of just my, like like you were saying, devotional life, discipleship to Jesus, whatever you want to call it, is just, I don't want to just have times where I'm praying. I want to be a praying person, 
You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to just pray for the five minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it is that I set aside in the morning for prayer. I want to do that. Don't mishear me. But as I go about my day, like I want to, in all things, be praying, to be asking God, hey, God, what do you have for me here? I, I mentioned this in a sermon that I preached. I don't know. It was a while ago, but it was talking about this, this idea of prayer and being connected to the vine and was just saying one of the things that I am learning to pray is what I call like my eyes up prayer, where it's just like, God, let my eyes be up today. Like, let my eyes be up and attentive to what you are doing. Not looking down at just my problems and my worries and the things that I have going on in my little internal life, but let me see what you're doing out there. Trying to do more of that, honestly. Trying, And that, that's been a big thing kind of coming out of this is I just want to be more attentive and more attuned to what God is doing or what he wants to do and then joining him in prayer for those things and then moving into action where he calls me to move into action. What I love about that Willard quote is having prayer be a part of your identity versus just being another thing you add onto a list of actions. Oh, yeah. Because that does something to you when you realize uh, prayer is part of my identity. So before I think about, let me pray this amount of minutes throughout the day, prayer is part of my identity. And out of an overflow of that, that moves me to those things. I remember hearing something, some study about a, a New Year's resolution. If you want to run a marathon, psychologically, people usually stumble when they say, well, I want to be able to run this amount by this time. But if they say to themselves, no, I am a runner. That's right. That is part of my identity. Psychologically, that actually moves them and they see better results. Absolutely, it does. And so how much more, even when it comes to prayer, prayer is part of who we are. 100%. 100%. Another thing that has been kind of impactful for me is, so another great book, Resource on Prayer, uh, is A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Have you read it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've read it. Yeah. Uh, highly commend it for anybody who's who's listening. Like it's just a very accessible uh, primer on prayer in the life of the believer. But one of the things that Paul Miller says in that book is that he does his best work as a worker, as a husband, as a father, as whatever uh, in his times of prayer. And uh, I have found that to be particularly challenging as well. It's like, you know, we've, the whole sermon was about our prayers do things, you know, Uh, And so fundamentally, like it is the most important work that we do. Like it's the most important thing that we do every day. Like we, we do our best work in whatever the roles or spheres that God has us in at home, at work, wherever we do our best work when we bring those things to the Lord and pray for him to move and work and shape us in it. Like it, it is the most important thing we could possibly do. And so I've been trying personally to kind of keep that in the back of my mind, because one of the things I even mentioned in the sermon was how powerless I even feel over the discipleship of my own kids. Like, I can't make my kids follow Jesus. Like, I can't do it. I can't make them make wise decisions. And that drives me up the wall too. Like, I'm not even talking about following Jesus. I'm just talking about not being dumb, you know? Like, and I, like, I'm powerless in that scenario to help the, to make them make the right moves, you know? And so just, I'm realizing my total, like, inability in that sphere. And so, and don't, don't mishear me. It's like, of course, I want to do intentional things to tell my kids about Jesus. Of course, I'm having family worship times with them. Of course, I'm trying to talk to them about what they have going on on their level and then share the gospel with them in that. But the light bulb actually coming on for them 
this thing, the thing that happens in them when the spirit just says, Hey, let's wake up to this. And they decide to follow Jesus and trust him with everything. Like I can't do anything about that. And for me, like I'm, I'm an achiever, like by wiring. And so it's like, I want to be able to affect something. Like I want to be able to do it. And so I'm sitting here with these two little munchkins in my house and I'm having to realize day in, day out, this ain't, this is not up to me. Like I need God to step in. I mean, it's all what Psalm 127 says, and, you know, unless the Lord builds the house, the labor's labor in vain. And that's, that whole Psalm is directly tied to parenting. And so it's just a, it's just a gut punch and yeah. a spur, you know, what's really convicting about that Paul Miller quote is we're both in ministry and we love to see things done and accomplished. And I know for me, my first reaction, whenever I see a problem is to, all right, put a plan together. That's right. And the older we get and the longer we follow Jesus, the more helpless we are yeah. and the more the more futile <laughs> our plans are. Yeah. Just how much yeah. more powerful prayer becomes. That's right. Even as you were sharing that, I remember when I was doing college ministry, there was one woman on our staff team. She was in her fifties. Uh, she didn't do on-campus meetings like the rest of us did full-time. Yeah. Her full-time job was she just prayed. So yeah. 40 plus hours throughout the week, she's wow. just praying for us and all the conversations that we're having. That's amazing. And I remember in my early 20s being really prideful about that and thinking, well, okay, but I'm actually the one having the conversation with people. And that's the amazing. The older I get, the more I think, wow, no, that she she's actually the engine behind right. all of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That I mean, that reminds me of I it's an old anecdote. I want to say it's Spurgeon, but I don't, I don't know. You know, probably. it's probably Spurgeon, <laughs> but you know, people came to his, his church and you know, they saw all the people who were there and just all the people getting saved. And they were like, how do you do it? Like, how's this happening? And then the way the anecdote goes is that he walks them down to like the basement or the boiler room mm-hmm. uh, and he opens the door and there are like hundreds of people praying. And he's like, this, this is how everything is happening. All these people meeting Jesus, all this, whatever. It's like, it's because this group of people is dedicating their time while I'm up there preaching. They're dedicating their time to praying for the souls who are in the seats. And it's just like, yeah, yeah, man, let's go. I've, I've heard that attributed to Spurgeon. And what I've heard is that prayer room was in the basement of the building right above his pulpit. Ah. And whenever he would start giving a more pointed, part of the sermon and he really needed the, needed the spirit, he would start stomping with his foot. Stop, really? And that was the cue that, oh man, you really <laughs> hey, you better prayer. be praying down there, you hear me? <laughs> uh, you know what? I need one of them. That sounds yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, truthfully, like, it really highlighted for me like the importance of what we're doing on Wednesdays now. Like, I've just loved that for what it's worth. That mm-hmm. was a thing that our Lexington church was even uh, trying to take some steps into uh, having where, like, so before the pandemic, hit, we were trying to do like Wednesdays at noon on your lunch break, come down and pray. And they were really sweet times with the people who, who came where we just kind of got before the Lord on what we wanted to see him do, especially as we're moving into the new building. But, uh, I just love that now our family of churches is able to come together, even in the midst of this pandemic virtually. And it's just like, Hey, you know what? We're going to make a priority to pray yeah. and zoom prayer. I love it. Like I had so much fun this past week getting to be, uh, with everybody on that. Like, I thought it was just great. I think I even texted you up like, this is wonderful. And the most important thing we've done this week, uh-huh. like, I just, I love yeah. it. <laughs> no, I think that's great. 
other resources that you can point people to, let's say brand new to following Jesus or brand new to our church. And they're hearing you talk about how we need to be praying people and they just don't know where to start. Yeah. I mean, I definitely would commend, well, hang on, let me, let me pull it back. I was about to recommend a book and then I recognize, Hey, before I recommend a book, (laughs) let me recommend to you the teachings of Jesus. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Right. Smart Uh move. Uh, Genuinely, I would go read the sermon on the Mount. And I want to draw your attention to specifically how Jesus instructs his disciples to pray. So uh, I think it's a couple, there's a couple of different uh, places where even the disciples ask how to pray and Jesus teaches them. The Lord's prayer really is our primer and our starting place on prayer. Like you'll hear a lot of people talk about different types of prayer that are out there, you know, but at the end of the day, when it really comes down to it, Jesus taught us to pray the Lord's prayer and use that as a rubric. Uh, And the way I do it, honestly, in my own personal devotional life is I just take it line by line. So I start with our heavenly father, hallowed be your name. And I stop and it's just, God, help me and us hallow your name, glorify your name, make your name the most important thing to us. Please be that for me, Father. You know, uh, And then I move into kingdom, may let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray for God's kingdom to come all the way through. Give us our... Uh, give us this day our daily bread, you know, pray for my needs, uh, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. So confess my sins to God, try to see if there's any need, any place I need to extend forgiveness to people. And then I pray for protection to be not led into temptation, but delivered from the evil one, you know, and I just let that be how I work through it. I would say start there like that. It's straightforward and it's how Jesus taught us. There are other things that Jesus says that I, this is even something I wanted to bring into the sermon, but like in Luke 18, uh, where he talks about uh, when he wants to instruct his disciples on praying without ceasing, that they should always go to God and never lose heart. He gives this little parable and he said, this is a parable of this old widow uh, who goes to this unjust, like this wicked ruler and just constantly annoys him for what she wants to see. And finally the unjust ruler breaks down and is like, fine, because you won't stop leaving me alone. I will give you what you need. He's like, Pray to God like that. Like, I think that was the joke I even made in the sermon of like, it's kind of like God is saying, go be a quote unquote Karen or whatever. But it's like, don't lose heart. Like, just keep praying. Uh, I ran across a a quote, even in prep for this sermon, talking about how um, prayer is not easy for anybody. Uh, it's not easy. And even as a beginner in prayer, like it's not easy. Don't expect it to be easy. And that's okay. Like that's fine. Uh, God loves you. He is your father. And he is just delighted that you want to come talk to him. So don't get hung up on, oh, I don't know the right words to say. And I don't know if I need to have everything kind of like mapped out before him, before I go to God. It's like, no, just come to God as you are. Like, I mean, God tells us to come to him as kids. You know what kids don't worry about? They don't worry about how they're going to present what they want to ask to their mom or their dad. They just come and say, mom, I want this. Mom, I need this. Dad, dad, can you do this? Dad, dad, be, be that way. Let that be how you approach prayer. Outside of that, pick up A Praying Life by Paul Miller. It's great. It is so easy, on-ramp, simple to read, get you kind of uh, rocking and rolling in that vein. And that book is going to be in the show notes. So just make sure, click that, and that'll take you to that book. That's cool. great. Anything else, Bailey? No, man, but this is really fun. Yeah. I want to do this more. This is great. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I love you guys. Uh, for everybody who's listening, uh, it was a pleasure to get to to serve you this week preaching. Um, thanks for letting me serve you in those ways. I hope it blessed you. I hope you've been encouraged and let's pray.